Welcome to Blackbird episode number 51. My name is James, and today I am joined by Donnie Gebert. Donnie is, of course, the author of The Null Hypothesis of Politics, along with Art of War 2020. I have heard Donnie on a number of podcasts, notably Pete Quinones and Bob Murphy's shows, and I've been interacting with him online on Facebook and things like that for years and years. And a lot of what he says, I just can't wrap my head around. So I wanted to have him on to talk to me but also to record it so that you can uh, maybe come to a better understanding of what he has to say. If you're not familiar with his thought, you might want to read one of his books or both of his books or just listen to his appearances on Pete and Bob's shows. I'll link to all of that in the show notes so that you've got options. Before we get into it with Donnie, let me tell you once again about Agorist Tax Service. You'll remember Blackbird guest, attorney, and tax specialist Matt Sersley. He wants to help you find ways to legally avoid paying some of your taxes. Matt is an agorist and a libertarian whose goal is to cost the IRS and the federal government money and help you save yours. He can provide advice for federal taxes, and he can also provide state-specific advice for Texas. Matt is the Agorist Tax Attorney. Sign up for your free consultation right now at agoristtaxadvice.com slash blackbird. That link is just going to take you right to a Calendly scheduling thing. So you'll be able to sign up. It's a pretty quick 15-minute call so that he can get a good assessment of what your situation is and how he can help you out. Again, that's a free tax consultation at agoristtaxadvice.com slash blackbird. And with that, here is my interview with Donnie Gebert. Donnie, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hello, James. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks. I'm uh, looking forward to a day of floating down a river on a inner tube and drinking heavily. So uh, after this, I'm headed out. But I wanted to have you on. As I was saying kind of before we started, I have listened and consumed just hours and hours and pages and pages of your content, and it always flies way over my head. And you were saying that the problem is that you start with logic and what is missing is the grammar. And I, and I love that because uh, I'm, I'm real big into the, tri- into the trivium. So I was hoping that we could kind of get into the grammar of Gebert and maybe get some foundation. And then I'll have you on again in about a month or so to maybe talk more about your ideas if we don't, if we don't have time to get into it today. Before we get started, though, why don't you introduce yourself? Just kind of talk about your bio because it's super interesting. Well, my name's Donnie. I spent 19 years, one month, 12 days in the military. My first tour was in the Army as Ammunition Logistics, 55 Bravo. My second tour was the National Guard as 11 Bravo in a unit filled with Special Forces guys. So it was a very good learning experience. I went back to active duty to the Navy, tried to be a SEAL, got injured, didn't care for the Navy as much, too bureaucratic, went back to the Army, went to military intelligence, and then basically injured out. Went, they were going to move me where I didn't want to go. So I just allowed myself to be, I had been kind of gluing myself together with PT and Vicodin for a couple of years. <laughs> and when they told me you're going to move, I said, you didn't hear me. I'm not going to move. This is Fort Hood. I don't have to move. Just move me somewhere else on the base and I'll do three more years. It's cool. They said, no, you're going to move. I said, no, I'm broke. So I got out and I went into the civilian world. It was, I met Karen a long time ago. I've been dealing with Karen long before COVID. Because anybody who really has, is a subject matter expert 
deals with Karen a lot. If you know how stuff works, you deal with a lot of pedantic people who want to sound smart and they want to be up in people's face, but you have to like, hey, I'm sorry, that's not how that works. I'm not wasting my time or money to be part of this game. I'm not putting my fingers in there. So you, you deal with Karen a lot. COVID was just a, the zombie apocalypse of Karen's upon us. Everyone's a subject matter expert. Nobody knows how anything works. But I lost 30 pounds saying no. So I'm the guy who says no. I'm the guy who goes to find out. Even in the military, you know, I don't like being the guy who doesn't know. So I will just figure out stuff. When you get into military intelligence, you have to have the 50,000 foot view. Literally, you will be given aerial photography of the 50,000 foot view here. This is the place. Start figuring out how we're going to do stuff here and work your way all the way down to I'm certain this is going to work. Um, Abductive reasoning is not really reasoning. It's I have a budget and I have a tank and I'm certain that that door is going to open. So it's not so much reasoning as it is pragmatism. Okay, that's a good place to start, I think, in our grammar lesson. So talk about inductive, deductive, and abductive reasoning. So inductive is we don't know anything about what we're doing. We must go and get as much information as we can in any aspect that attaches to this enterprise. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about Nintendo, you could talk about every single game that is on the Nintendo system. You could talk about the electrical engineering of an 8-bit platform, the power that has to be on the block so somebody can plug the thing in. You know, how many of these can be plugged in in America? No point in making it if you don't have enough outlets for people to play. So understanding the nuances of how a Nintendo is is one thing. Mm. Understanding the specifics of Super Mario is another And a lot of people just lose their handoffs along the way. And it really becomes, I speak in the logic of the motion. When it's a Rube Goldberg machine in a gymnasium, everybody can watch this happen. If you have to describe those things in their proper terminology, the grammar in your head, oh, it's it's, it's like a Slipknot album. It's just terrible. It's going to feel terrible to try to use grammar to assemble when you're talking economics and, you know, when you talk of blockchain, it's economics plus technical aspects plus end user aspects. Mm-hmm. And all of those basically have different languages. So you start braiding them together and it gets very hard to formulate the sentences sometimes and make sense to anyone. Okay. And so inductive reasoning, the illustration that you give in Art of War 2020 is the inductive reasoning is sort of like finding the four corners of the puzzle and then making the frame of the puzzle by finding the flat-sided pieces. Right. And so you're you're just setting the stage. You're making the framework yes. for the rest of what's going to come next where you actually yes. put the puzzle together. And yes. so deductive reasoning is the next step where you're right. putting the pieces, right. you know, you're looking at the picture, you're, you're, you're looking at the sides of the puzzle pieces and like this fits here, this fits here. This is the cat's eye. So it's right. probably going to fit right about here. That kind of thing. So one, yeah, once you have the enterprise bracketed, because you have properly pulled in so much information that you have a framework. Now you understand, I mean, even if it's just a budget, you now have a framework. I have this much money to spend on this endeavor. It doesn't really matter kind of how you want to approach it, even if it's just a pure spending aspect. Deductive is I need to understand the picture on the box, or I need to understand how to assemble the stuff inside the framework without a picture. Mm -hmm. So it comes with a box, 
you get to assemble with the pieces that you have. You get to see the picture. And now you can put the stuff together inside the box. If you don't have a box and you have to assemble everything from scratch, you have to have your own, you know, the word vision. That's people say you have to have your own vision of how is this going to be assembled. And as long as your budget, you know, your budget doesn't include the, the lives of the unbelievers, then you should be okay to go ahead and try and execute your vision. It doesn't hurt anybody. But if you run out of funds, you fail. So you have to, your enterprise will end up dictating how you're going to execute. Your vision isn't necessarily proper deduction. You're still assembling stuff and you don't know. Abductive reasoning is, I know how to do this yesterday. Why are we talking about it? <laughs> okay. So inductive and deductive is, and, and all of these, like uh, if anybody wants to know who the opposite of me is, it's Thaddeus Russell. Every time Thaddeus Russell says any pragmatic solution, he is correct. It is in three-dimensional space. That's how it works, at least one way. So he's not being a philosopher. He's the philosopher reminding you there's objects in three-dimensional space that prove you are incorrect. Anytime he delves in philosophy, as long as it's fundamentally possible, he's also correct if it can happen any of the ways. So once you have the budget and once you have the theory, you have to put it to the test. Abductive reasoning isn't testing isn't testing. This is already known methods and we need a budget. So I have to do inductive and deductive as far as trying to train people in a certain thing. But as far as abductive, I just show them how to use the equipment. Well, some people then say you shouldn't use that equipment. That's where we have to extrapolate into inductive, deductive, into philosophy. Because when, when you have a method, you don't have to argue it. But if somebody wants to argue with the method, you then have to argue it. Yeah. So when Thad Russell talks about concepts, he considers himself a postmodernist. Uh, other people have disagreed with him on that. I, whatever. His whole thing is like hyper agnosticism. So anything, literally anything is possible. I have no idea what the right answer is. What you're saying is if we can find the right answer, then this is the right answer. And all those other possibilities, which may be infinite, are completely useless. Is that is that right? I'm saying you and I and every other human being are trapped in three-dimensional space. Therefore, possibilities are not infinite according to the second law of thermodynamics and Metcalfe's law. The end. You are trapped. You're the second guest in a row, actually, who's talked about the laws of thermodynamics uh, vis-a-vis philosophy. That's interesting. What is the second law of thermodynamics? Oh, uh, every action has an equal opposite reaction. Uh, First law is uh, everything is... You always have to have some kind of positive input to energy um, Uh entropy. Uh, You know, you have to always have a work input. So because you have the laws of physics where you cannot speak about your field getting plowed, you have to take your wild ass out there and plow it. There's a big difference between I said I plowed my field and I plowed my field. So the the laws of thermodynamics are we don't give a like imagine human beings didn't have mouths you would definitely know who is who because they weren't talking about this shit. They are just on a big pile of stuff because they know how to do it. And that's really the difference. When you get to the other side, Metcalf's law is humans operating on the terrain. It's still physics, but it is how do you get humans to operate in network effects? Mm-hmm. And network effects are force multipliers. So that's where stuff goes exponential and people don't know how to scale past their, you know, most people are from, might be from a small town anybody from a big town and doesn't know how to scale, they get lost. Everybody gets lost in really big numbers, like past a million, they just get lost. So because you are trapped in three-dimensional space, you cannot 
commit acts that are against the, you are trapped by the laws of thermodynamics. Then there's a bunch of other humans. If you know that millions of them oppose you and they have guns, <laughs> then again, it might as well be the laws of thermodynamics. It's not reason. It is human action mm -hmm. standing in philosophically as very real thermodynamics. So that's where humans become these weird paradox of we behave as philosophy, therefore thermodynamics, or we behave philosophically and we blew up our budget because we didn't know what we were doing. And I just go to the R&D. I know the difference between philosophy and mechanics. Mm -hmm. So that's where the warrior philosopher meme comes from, because all of the warriors will hear something and laugh because <laughs> they know that shit ain't going to happen. You'll be dead if you try. We know the guy who died trying. His name was <laughs> Phil. So like some people really don't understand that there are humans out there that don't understand. As soon as they're talking, we know they're full of shit. There's no way that shit happens on the real world, period. You know, people mouth off about what happens in a biker bar. I watched a Marine lose his ear in a biker bar. Jesus. You can listen to Marines talk all you want. The smart ones will tell you, I will get my ass kicked in a biker bar. So there's talk and there's real life. And when you get technical, it, you're just trapped between that which is your physics and that which is your budget and your humans being coordinated and efficient. And then we only talk about methods and we don't harass each other with stuff I don't know how to do. Who's your target audience with your book? So you've written two books. I don't know if we've actually mentioned them. So there's there's Direct Republic where you're kind of talking about uh, like automizing Congress, right? Like how, how, to, how to turn on Congress into peer-to-peer -peer legislative process without a legislature. Like when everyone... Everyone's a voter, and then there are senators. When everyone's a senator, they vote like a senator. If we voted like senators, we would live in a direct democracy. So when, instead of voting like a senator, you just put your money in a bucket, and that is your de facto vote, and no one had the opportunity for any kind of capture for your funding method, you no longer use democracy to adjudicate. You use a republic. Everybody who likes method one, go outdoor one. Everybody who likes method two, go outdoor two. Basically, the rules are stay out of each other's way, property rights. And then we don't vote over the one bucket of funding because it's not one true bucket of funding. It's multiple buckets and go succeed. And that book's a little more theoretical. I, I get the feeling that Art of War 2020, your second book, is more practical. Yeah, the second book is really like critical thinking because if you don't understand how the stuff works, then you don't understand how this stuff works. Mm -hmm. So if you don't if you don't know how a Venn diagram works, when you mix, you know, red and blue equals purple is easy. System A plus system B equals catastrophe doesn't necessarily strike everybody if they don't necessarily know anything about A or B. He who knows one side of the argument knows little of that. Uh-huh. So anybody who really just knows how, why they're a Republican and they don't know at least why they're not a Democrat doesn't understand a problem from anything other than a Republican desire to end it a certain way. They, they see a problem. They see a solution from a perspective instead of this problem exists beyond my, polit my politics. It has to be done in an economics way. I need to understand that the mom and pop store isn't going away because corporatism is bad. It's going away because mm -hmm. supply chains being shorter is better for everyone. Mm 
And a corporation shortens those supply chains massively. So mom and pop still set up stores 30 miles out in the middle of nowhere, and those stores are fine. But if you are two miles from Walmart, you're probably out of business 10 years ago. And it's not a judgment. It's in the understanding of a macro economy. It doesn't mean you don't necessarily want to buy some stuff local. It just means that the big box store will never go away because they have purchasing power far beyond mom and pop. So why doesn't Walmart build 30 miles out in the middle of nowhere? Because there isn't a population to support a Walmart. There's gasoline in the trucks that take the stuff out there. There's people mm-hmm. who are going to be on staff 24-7 in a Walmart. If, you, if everybody probably watched an entire wave of Walmarts close as the Walmart organization tightened its own belt, got more efficient, and when they had multiple stores in one area, they just sealed one up. Yeah. So that, that was their own organization getting more efficient. And then everyone's like, you could judge that process, but macroeconomics is what it is. So Walmart has a purchasing power. Mom and pop does it. It's not a judgment. It's not morality. It's not anything other than economics. It can be some kind of regulatory capture, and it shouldn't be. But, you know, a scaled organization doesn't imply regulatory capture. Now, around America these days, holy shit, you know, it's such a shit show. I'm, I am certain the term is lawfare. So I am a lawfare expert, but it's not laws. I know what the laws are. This is statute. This is oh, statute yeah. warfare. It's not laws. And once everybody, like, imagine that every time you hear the cops talking about investigating a matter, it's not a matter. They are investigating an opinion, a philosophy. Maybe it was an act, but a lot of times when there is a body, it is a matter. When there is a regulatory breach and they call it, we're investigating this matter, they're they're injecting science words to give this implication that that's, it just provides substance and context where there is none. And it's a little bit of verbal sleight of hand. If David Copperfield does it with a mirror, it's perfectly fine. If someone... <laughs> From the government does it behind a microphone with words. Oh, it it must be okay. They don't lie to us. Well, it's obvious now. I mean, I kind of knew they were bullshitters a long time ago. I did not realize that lying in a hierolinguistic manner was possible until about three years ago. And what, you know, I didn't even know hierolinguistics was a thing. What what is that? I've never heard that, that term. Neurolinguistics is the sound. You and I are speaking to each other in sounds. Yeah. Hierolinguistics is two words are spelled differently, but they can be spoken in the same way. So I throw the one word at you, full well knowing I'm going to deceive you with the sound. If it was spelled in front of you, you would know the difference. Okay. But I am intentionally deceiving you by using a word that's exactly the same way. Here's an example. Nonsense. When you hear the word nonsense, what do you think? Either it doesn't make sense or I completely disagree with it because. Okay. Now let me, now let me spell it. N-O-N-C-E-S-E-N-S-E. A nonce is an exception. If you know what coder, how how coders work, when they put in a nonce, it's an exception. So the, the software always does number one, always does number one. But if two shows up, it gets a nonce. So a nonce is. This is an exception to policy. We have an industry and it runs this way all the time. But when the red light comes on, push the red button. That's your nonce. 
So a sense of when an exception applies is a very handy tool. It's what professionals use in an industry when something comes up that isn't standard and you're looking for a professional. They have nonsense sense. So those, those are completely opposites. The one guy who's <laughs> going to figure out the exception and the one dumbass who doesn't know anything are both said nonsense. And that's ridiculous. So practically, when would, say, a CEO or a politician or a project manager or whoever use the phrase nonsense, but cloud it by saying nonsense really fast? No, that is an obvious example where okay. no one says you have a nonsense. When someone does exceptional work, nobody points at them and says that is nonsense. Yeah. But it, that is a very specific exception of how you could really Jedi mind trick someone. Okay. If you use the words two, two, and two, T W O, T O O, and T O, one is a number, one means as well, and one is. From here to, you know. Yeah, yeah, a preposition, yeah. Right, so you're always trying. Now, you understand it's very difficult to do that specifically unless you're using a teleprompter. I have one specific example that I have to dredge up beforehand. If I was to try to braid this together really fast, I'm trying to be specific. I'm not trying to be fluid. The more fluid I try to be, the easier it is for me to slip bullshit in because it sounds catchy. It's part of the rhythm of what I was saying. So I will catch myself talking like Dr. Seuss. I want to punch myself in the mouth. Um, okay, so- I know uh, what they're doing with those teleprompters. Yeah. In your books, who is your, who is your target audience? Like who, who are you trying to persuade or, or train or educate? Any voter who believes they understand what is happening on their television. Okay. Now, I understand that's a little broad of a brush, and the real problem is most voters are so dumb, they refuse to do any research to find out how dumb they are. That's really the problem. They are unteachably dumb because they've been told so many times on TV that the shit is the way it is, that it must be that way. Mm -hmm. Well, everyone was told COVID was going to kill us all and come to find out it was really just a bunch of nonsense. Okay. And so what's your thesis? There are so many legal systems on the planet that everyone wants to believe their particular legal system is the way it happens. Well, that is definitely not correct because everybody has at least two. You have your state and you have your federal. Okay. So until people understand that if you want to go into one court, you need one lawyer in your state. And if you want to go into another court, you need a federal lawyer. Until you start understanding that where your house is, there's two legal systems at least. You don't necessarily understand how A, B, and C come together. Because the federal, who's going to enforce? If the feds want to enforce and the state doesn't want them, lo and behold, the state shows up. And when the feds want to enforce and the state doesn't give a shit, they don't show up and you will be enforced upon by feds. Mm -hmm. And all of this, you know, we're not talking about right and wrong. I am not describing right and wrong. We are not talking morality, philosophy. These systems function in these ways. When you take the time to look at them, they don't function. People on this continent are preyed upon with a bad education about how, how legal systems have functioned. And they are authoritarian top-down in nature. So the next question is, if I was to take the best pieces of every single legal system and slap them all together, what would that look like? Now, I couldn't make it any more objective than what we have 
right? Uh, what we have had up until 2009, there was really no way to prevent certain intercontinental things, period. I don't care who the fuck you think you are. Military science is not a goddamn debate. I will go and get the thing that will kill you and you will be de facto incorrect slash dead. So there was no way to prevent an intercontinental fraud, period. And if you wanted to prevent that on scale, you needed to deploy Norman Schwarzkopf. And that's just real life, period. And everybody might think you're, you know, we watched the Jetsons and the Flintstones in the 70s. We were all Flintstones until 2009 at a minimum. And if and just because you had a cell phone doesn't make you a Jetson. You were living in a world where Norman Schwarzkopf would fundamentally be required, even under the best, most righteous, even if most of the civilization was getting together, you might still have to deploy Norman Schwarzkopf. And so Norman Schwarzkopf, for my younger listeners, was the general who ran the, the first, like George H.W. Bush's Iraq War. Right. First Gulf War. So, first of all, what happened in 2009 that changed that? Bitcoin. Bitcoin, okay. Bitcoin was the first blockchain system. It is Now, I, I love Bitcoin for all of the beautiful things it is. Bitcoin maximalism is a dirty religion, and it's taking people <laughs> by storm. Yeah. So, that has to be noted. But, but Bitcoin is a great – Bitcoin is your kindergarten education of being a citizen on Earth, not a citizen of America. Because – Bitcoin changes how money works for our species, period, end of talk. It will not do it by itself. It's a 20 transaction per second prototype. It's the bag phone. It's the Model T. It's not what we can use forever. It's not what we're going to use forever. But it is the proof of concept that allows everyone their proper education. And what is a blockchain and how how does does it work? Well, so Bitcoin then makes international commerce or or at least blockchain technology makes international commerce secure and no longer needing an army to cross borders because goods can do it without fraud is that well an army to cross uh, an ocean because you let's just say you and i as intelligent adults never mind the concept of citizenry intelligent human adults under no like hi i'm donnie i'm one of the fucking warriors there is no goddamn reason to deploy for property reasons with a blockchain on this earth. Now, you have to put the infrastructure in. Bitcoin doesn't show up and everything magically goes away. Nope. No, 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 no. You have to put the infrastructure in. But when you put a deeding system on a blockchain, now we can stake. We can stake things. And when that when when um, when the rebels capture that area, instead of lo- yes, we did lose our property, but we were compensated in a smart contract. That's how it worked. Under those conditions, Lloyd's um, Lloyd's of London really is kind of, they'll just move into research and development instead of insurance. If, you know, insurance models might require fiat. I don't really, like, it's such a macroeconomic question of does, it, does an intelligent insurance model require fiat or can you stake enough can you stake enough assets that don't blow up in the process? It's it's really hard question. But Lloyd's of London might just become a research and development firm where they'll say, we will we will allow commerce to try and pop up in that area. But if it's lost by the rebels, these people shall be awarded. And that'll be up front. There won't be a court. There won't be a lawyer. It will be pre-adjudication. So I could get mouthy and say things like, all of the lawyers are going away. Lawyers need to learn to code because their opinions will be gone. 
And when you cannot judiciously reallocate, that's where I start my first book is when you put your deeds on a blockchain, you can remove a government system entirely. And what, here's the real problem. A, a blockchain is a threat to a government system. When you take away the power of eminent domain and the power to judiciously reallocate property in a deed structure, when that deed structure is peer-to-peer, -peer, the court system can't reallocate it. So now the, real, the only way to change those records is to commit military warfare on that, on that place and seize that geography. And that's really hard. Like there's lots of, you pretty much need a fiat machine to do it, almost. So when you start adjudicating where if somebody steals all of the stuff in Iraq, then they just choke due to a lack of commerce because the area is under a military coup and the British oil economy and the petrodollar aren't threatened mm -hmm. when Saddam Hussein does that, then instead of American warriors giving a shit, so, uh, you know, if Norman Schwarzkopf living in that world gets compensated for what just happened over there or knows the government is compensated, there's really not a military solution because it's already done. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have, you know, small scale violence on one continent. That's happening in Africa right now. But that's not a continental problem. It's not an intercontinental problem. It's fundamentally a local governance and economic problem, right down to the local governments fundamentally either corrupt or inefficient or both. And the local population doesn't necessarily have a solution because they have this government in the way and they think that's the solution. So they're not solving their problems. They're being given solutions that don't really function to the level they need. Mm -hmm. And then we're all told by the court system, well, it's the only way. Bill Cosby is free. Britney Spears is owned. Every corporation <laughs> in America decided that HIPAA wasn't a fucking thing all at the same time. Everything under 900 bucks is free in San Francisco. And the Supreme Court continually says that landlords don't have to have to or, or aren't allowed to collect rent. So that's the abrogation of private property. I don't know when we become some sort of banana republic because the Supreme Court doesn't even uphold private property anymore. I understand there's an eviction problem. I understand there's a fiat problem too. So, you know, holistic solution time. So I know it's really I guess nebulous. It is a little bit, but the, the, so I want to, I want to dig into it a little bit, maybe concretize it some. Yeah. World War One was a continental war until the United States entered it. Why did the United States enter it? And does that does that have anything to do with what you were just saying? So, you know, 50, 60 years later, we're getting documents that says maybe FDR knew World War II was going to start. Yeah, yeah. So when I start trying to be a time-traveling historian, I have to figure out motives. I have to figure out if this was actually a conspiracy. And I, I when I have to see Hillary Clinton's legal escape routes from my house, her legal escape routes are alive and well today. Uh-huh. When I have to see what Pershing was doing on any given Thursday, wow, do I suffer from a lack of information? So when I go prior to, listen, imagine this. Imagine Nixon is a hero. I know this is ridiculous. <laughs> but, but if, imagine the entire, I will state that a fiat money machine is a weapon of war. Mm -hmm. It is where you get a budget from nowhere. Okay. Now I understand you might place some principles behind your system, but when you're really dealing in fiat, you're dealing in good faith and credit fundamentally. Mm -hmm. And 
So anyway, I don't go back. I don't go back it prior to like 2009. I can't okay. really extrapolate everybody's life. Sure. Well, okay. So, but you did bring up Schwarzkopf. And before, actually, before we started recording, okay. you informed me, because I didn't know this, but the wells in Kuwait that Saddam was attempting to appropriate were British petroleum wells. Is that right? Right. A bunch of them were owned by BP. So you could definitely see a hit in the British British economy. Uh And then destabilization of the petrodollar. Anybody who thinks they know what that looked like any given year, I don't know. Maybe maybe Milton Friedman would have a a good idea of what it looked like in the early 70s and the 80s. It's really hard to to be the time-traveling Monday morning quarterback. Once I get a solution like Bitcoin... I could definitely state Norman Schwarzkopf could have had some sort of relevant insurance slash financial solution to avoid deployment to a further continent, at which point we change our war model to a special operations model, which sounds like the anarchist model of assassination model, which goes to Bob Murphy and chaos theory about private. Uh, A lot of people don't understand military solutions and why they exist because they really are just pragmatic. They're not philosophical. And then, you know, there's a very interesting run between war and cops. And there's an interesting run between human trafficking and abortion. And all of those look like people getting hurt. So when you can get the human harms into one category and you can get people just transacting into another category, that's where I actually get to be the subject matter expert because I will get all the physical harms to minimum viable product. Why is this happening? There should be adults in that room or, you know, why would we drop a JDAM that's going to kill? You know, a JDAM is a huge thing. Uh, It's a 2000 pound bomb. With a thousand pounds of explosive in it. So if anybody thinks you drop it on one house, you drop it on one neighborhood. Yeah. That, that is the minimum serving size of the JDAM. So at a certain point, the military solution causes too many problems. And then there will be a politician standing there with a solution. That is not correct. Those dickheads don't know pragmatic solutions. They know philosophical solutions. They know bullshit. And they put the philosophical solutions and the bullshit together to make that sound great for everybody. But when you actually go have to go perform that, it's not going to happen that way in the real world. So disintermediating the subject matter experts from the bullshitters is a real important task. And what you really find out is the government claims it's in charge of so many things, and it's not. Because it doesn't have the subject matter experts to deal with it. When they try to go get them, you're still just getting something that's now uninsurable because it's a government project instead of some private corporation being stuck with the bill. And then the legal system will give corporations immunities. So you'll get massive oil spills instead of, you know, forethought. And and how do we avoid, um, you've seen the nets that they put around an oil slick. If you have that net set up, while the every day that oil rig is in operation, it does raise the cost of the oil rig, but it contains a disaster immediately. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to have absolute upfront, no one's going to invest in your oil rig because ecological disaster, because the investors are now informed. Just imagine investors have to own property along the shoreline before they can invest in an oil rig. <laughs> that, 
just having, it, you know, as a prerequisite, where do the investors of certain industries come from? They are the, the only people who are going to suffer from this are the ones you have to get your pool from. And that's how the insurance companies agree to deal with it. And the rest of us go, yes, the people who own Oceanfront are the ones who are allowed to invest in oil rigs. That I mean, if we're going to have statutory requirements, they have to be leveraged against your own property, your own natural consequences, blowing up your own prosperity, because statutory enforcement is expensive at a minimum. So you really want the enterprise to blow up in the face of the dummies, not have secondaries that go off on everyone else. Uh, in the military, we call it secondaries. In economics, it's externalities. So we don't want externalities that you want all of the everything that a corporation does. You want it to be an internality that they have to absorb. And I will mercilessly make the warriors eat their own bullshit until they're done getting their shit together. So I'll definitely do it to a civilian. So that's really where it comes down to as long as there's adults engaging in these things, but getting ahead of the I mean, we're just coming up with certain industry standards now. Yeah. So, you know, everybody has to understand 2009 was a big year and we are living in the future as opposed to the past. And we have to change our methods. Everybody says you have to change your values. Well, you have to change your methods. Your values aren't necessarily going to change. But if your values fly in the face of how stuff works, that's where it's time for you to get an education and quit pretending that your principles somehow <laughs> your principles go uphill and everybody doesn't want to drag this uphill. So we're going to go downhill and you're going to have to change whatever you're considering a principle. Welcome to the, welcome to either being in the group and going downhill or out of the group. That's something that libertarians have had to learn the hard way in the last 18 months or so. Nobody gives a shit about your logical consistency when there's a, when there's a pandemic on, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, there's not only that, but it's not even, it's not even a pandemic. Well, okay, I'll call it a. I'll oh, call but everybody it a thinks it is. Pandemic. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it right. doesn't the, matter. What, it doesn't matter what reality is. Well, that's the real problem, man. Reality is the only thing we all share in common. Mm -hmm. We are all trapped on this planet. There is nowhere to go. Uncle Elon gets you out of the atmosphere. Where do you think you're going? You are. We are all stuck here. So at that point, it really becomes you are all trapped in here with me. How in the hell am I going to live amongst the chattering primates without losing my mind? And while as a subject matter expert, people would tell me I'm argumentative. I'm sorry. I work at a place where I learn how stuff works. So in COVID, it really became obvious the difference between who's argumentative and who knows what the hell they're talking about. And the answer is almost everyone is argumentative and very few people know anything about everything they're screaming about. And it took a good 12 months for everybody to look at each other and go, holy shit, nobody knows what's going on. The doctors don't know how masks work. The lawyers don't know how law works. Mathematicians are caught in theory and they don't do math anymore. So, and then we're all trapped in a very inefficient language, like chattering primates, screaming at each other, where deception is hierolinguistic on a neuro-linguistic battleground. It's ridiculous nonsense. It sounds like a fairy tale. Is it ridiculous nonsense or nonsense? Oh, same time. <laughs> when it's both at the same time, it's a paradox. And then you have to go figure out, because sometimes you have a philosophical problem and sometimes you have a methodological problem. Mm -hmm. And if your method works, your philosophy was false. And if your method doesn't work, your philosophy is cute. 
but it doesn't work. You know, when someone demands that the check not bounce, the check bounces. It's not how it works. Talk a little bit about NLP and white magic, and then we can get into also uh, endocrinology and black magic. Neurolinguistics is what what people without an education would refer, would refer to as white magic. Mm-hmm. And it's really just, um, it's sleight of hand with the use of your voice. Somewhat like nonsense. I have to look. I wasn't thinking about a, a specific list of words. Okay. I got to look on my phone. While you're looking up, I mean, people like Tony Robbins are kind of masters at NLP. And it's white magic in the sense that, I mean, Tony Robbins uses NLP for good. You know, I mean, he's cured pe- cured people of their arachnophobia just by the power of persuasion. So that's right. a good thing. But, you know, I mean, when Brian Stelter gets on CNN and is uh, persuading people of the evil of, you know, politician A and the goodness of politician B, then that's where it becomes problematic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All of the politicians are basically doing the opposite of Tony Robbins. Mm. And... Like, I don't really have any beef with Tony Robbins. My beef is people need certain pieces of information and they just can't afford to pay for it every single time. Yeah. And the beautiful part of the military is we just toss, we just toss each other information. I can't find it. I just can't find it. So I have a list of some other words that make coincidences that, that can be used manipulatively. But to be honest, it's a package deal. And I find it to be a bit more manipulative in the tone. Mm-hmm. Someone is trying to whine at you. And honestly, this happens amongst family members the most, but you can find it mostly in your children. They will whine. They're conveying more than what they're saying to you. They're not that interested. So when you focus on not what someone is saying, but the song they're trying to give you, those tones tend to be a little bit more inherent with a meaning. So when, when Uncle Bernie's giving you the bullshit, he's trying to get you all involved. He's not trying to explain a process to you so that nobody gets bullshitted. He's going to make you wish you were fucking there with your own goddamn heads. That's what he's going to wish. And everybody's going to get up in a froth about it because... When you train in the military to suffer real life pain and someone inflicts you with the words, you giggle at them. You giggle at them. I spent 60 minutes in water today, treading water in a uniform. You're making the mouth noises at me. I'm already tired. What do you want? Yeah. So I have no, I have no time for the singing and the nonsense and the bullshit. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm evaluating it. I'm moving out my day. It's a completely cognitive process. Soon as Uncle Bernie wants you to give him your vote, he starts singing you the bullshit like he's on the corner. He's completely destitute. Him and his three houses. He just needs you to drag your ass down to that voting booth and give him the fucking thing that he needs to be the guy. And he's going to bullshit everybody. He does it one way. AOC is a bartender in a pantsuit who likes to sound assertive and capable. What is she? She's a bullshitter who can get women to vote for her. That's what she is. When you make the argument, there should be a woman in a pantsuit in that chair. The most assertive feral bitch you can find is the one who should be in the chair. To that, I agree. I don't agree that any old chair should have a a woman in a pantsuit in it. But when you, when that is going to be filled 
whatever feral human being is in that chair, I want them to be a stalwart defender of that chair to the level of feral. I'm okay with that. What I'm saying is you should be in your own chair. We shouldn't have people in chairs in Washington. And when we're all in our own chairs and we're all feral for our own personal stuff, this works out way better than ever pretending, sending our power down the road, aggregating our money and power out of where we could see it was ever a good idea. Then you live in reality where the money is going to go somewhere. Someone could steal it. Someone can embezzle it. You got Enron. You got people stealing from trucks. So there's real crime. But that is really, really, really on the downturn. Like our society functions with very like organized crime had to get cleaned up because a lot of the a lot of the places where you could rob the supply chain dried up. You can't rob the supply. There's not too many where when there's a warehouse, it's 24 seven trying to rob it is really hard. Sure. So you keep that warehouse open 24 hours a day. It gets harder to rob. You take the stuff right from the warehouse to the person's door. There's no central location for certain enterprises to feast on anymore. That is a military problem. You can call it an ethics problem. I don't give a shit. As soon as you solve that with a 24-7 warehouse, your military problem is solved. So the expertise in the industry causes security by working people harder 24-7. So now we have three shifts in one warehouse and a distribution system and not a security problem. The government loves sending everyone home at five o'clock so someone can rob the warehouse and then someone else has to pay for it. And if the fiat money machine has to print a hole on the back end, it's a political problem and they'll do that. It just gets complicated and stupid, but there is a fiat money machine somewhere to make sure someone, an insurance business doesn't go under an airline doesn't go under, someone in the military industrial complex doesn't go under. And then Catherine Austin Fitz finds, you know, 20 trillion and missing what? It's not missing stuff. Where did the money come from? How do you have 20 trillion missing anything and it not be a de facto hole in the money system? And then there you are, the end. You're at the bottom of the money system. The fiat money machine is a weapon of war. Anybody who thinks it isn't, how far could you go on $1,000 a day that you could just print up at home? Any human being who was given $1,000 a day worth of budget, just start letting your imagination run wild. Then you can go read my two books and imagine what the fuck I'll do on $1,000 a day and it'll get terrifying. <laughs> Tell us who Catherine Austin Fitz is. I just had to, I just had to Google her. So, Oh, um, she was a undersecretary of HUD or something like that. And then she yeah. did an audit when she was a civilian of, how this whole place wasn't functioning properly and found huge loophole, um, huge, huge budgetary holes. Mm-hmm. Holes so big that they point to a printing press on somewhere that no one ever looked at before because you can't 20 trillion worth a hole. I mean, we have to go find Paul Volcker's kids and waterboard them if there's a 20 trillion dollar hole <laughs> anywhere. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. how far back you have to go into the in, into the ignorance. So when the numbers don't add up on a level that don't add up to an order of magnitude that anything other than a cokehead could have performed, we don't have to have an argument about what the problem is. The problem is a fiat money machine. And that and and you know, we could go through every Mesesian argument about the fiat money machine. I make the military argument. Anybody want to give me a thousand dollars a day? I promise I could solve this problem with software. 
but that's how the fiat money machine works. It's a military budget fundamentally to produce something. Industri- um, if you were to look at it a thousand years ago, it's called industriousness. There were a bunch of people that could produce ramparts and a moat. And if you didn't have a town that could do that, those people just died. And, and it's not a philosophy. It's industriousness. So the industriousness of America has gone clean into bullshit. As built bullshit as a business model, and it works if everybody doesn't know how. And then there's a reality where, to a certain extent, it works anyway. And then you just find out it's not fraud. Like, I, I do argue against fiat because it fundamentally is fraud, but our species would be fucked if nobody turned that money machine on 100 years ago. Like, we'd all be living horse and buggy and throwing rocks at each other and stuff. You think so? Why did the fiat system hasten innovation? If you insist on gold and silver, the amount of liquidity that your economy can produce is limited, period. Yeah. You can extract every single ounce of that purity all the way down to there's none left in the crust of the earth. There is not enough for global commerce. And, and when I say that, I mean, it's very difficult for anyone in Moscow to pay anyone in New York, especially in gold. So when I say global commerce, we live in a global, the, the petrodollar is de facto global standard. Whether we like it or not, the mm-hmm. entire species runs on a global supply chain standard. So once this global supply chain is established, we can't have any one part of it falling apart, which makes scaled war dumb. So now it's, okay, we shouldn't be spending money on scaled war. How do we fix the systems? And that's really, as a species, we are coming to the point where we recognize fiat as if we didn't have the liquidity, the species' economic capability would have been stifled. So I don't argue against that fiat is per se garbage. Even backing might have prevented it, but backing can, I just assume fraud. As soon as you back your money, I just find a way to make it mine. That's all. Like, I just assume there's someone sinister involved because if there's a way to do it, someone does it. Somewhere. The euro dollar market is demonstration that if somebody could print dollars somewhere in Europe and get away with it, they'll fucking do it for 50 years. (laughs) That's all. So you don't worry about it. You always assume someone will militarily dominate. You don't philosophize about it. And you say, okay, we have a hole here. And when the information hole is the hole in the fiat money system, Nixon has the best information on the planet. All of his economists say, don't worry about it. Turn the printing press on. Nobody will figure it out for 50 years. And he's correct. They were all correct. Nobody's going to be able to figure out these budgets. Nobody's going to figure out what got paid for and where because everybody's spread out. So then when anybody starts demanding fiscal accountability, what do we get? Bullshit records, FOIA requests. When the stuff finally comes out, it doesn't add up. But without that liquidity and without that, I mean, fraud could be considered a type of innovation at a certain point. So now we're just finding out that the dollar ledger is hundreds of trillions of we don't know. And all of those hundreds of trillions will be dumped onto onto blockchain ledgers. It'll be okay. But then we ask ourselves, what is the dollar? And there's a money mechanic there. We'll do that later. Sure. So... I mean, I, obviously, the answer to this is probably obvious, but wh- why is why does it feel like Janet Yellen is trying to stifle blockchain technology as much as she is? What is the incentive for her not to allow this world-changing technology? 
Janet Yellen will not allow or disallow anything. Her primary weapon is her media tool where she tells you she has the ability to do stuff. The minute you, I have made, I will make a unilateral declaration. I have, I have gotten into the crypto market and I have purchased some coins that, that go in a master node. Mm-hmm. So you put them in a master node, they sit in a place and then they crank out extra coin. I have become a type of crypto mint. Janet Yellen thinks she's the only mint in town. Fuck her. I'm taking her job. Now, someone <laughs> would say, Donnie, you can't take Janet Yellen's job. I would say, yes, I can. I am going to take Janet Yellen's job. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to set myself up in how money is going to work three, five, 10 years from now. Then I'm going to sell Janet Yellen short. I'll show everybody how that woman lies to you every single day, how her presence on the face of this earth is completely irrelevant past what she can make happen in the banking system and what she can make you believe. And once you avoid the banking system and once you avoid her ignorant face, she has zero effect on you at all. So I don't care if anyone wants to believe Janet Yellen is a big effect in their life. Now, if they have a shit ton of dollars and they are trapped in the banking system, things that Janet Yellen can do can maybe limit access to your funds and then maybe change the value, the relative value of what those funds are worth which is why I get out of the systems of Janet Yellen and into the systems of blockchain is is a good way to say the people's money. (laughs) Some, some right-wingers think that makes it communist or something. Right. Decentralized money is no central bank, no issuing authority. Uh, Peer to peer code ensures that these records will be kept. And the records are what we really have the problem with. The judges can rewrite the records. The banks are allowed to rewrite the records if the judges tell them. If the records are completely fraudulent, Janet Yellen can step in and make them whole as if by magic. There's so many mechanics there that they're really not anything you and I want to use. And part of this is the spell of mass media. When everybody looks at Janet Yellen, what do you get? Everybody talking about Janet Yellen. Everybody talks about Bitcoin. (laughs) And, And I'll say this. Bitcoin is the statist solution, not because it's wrong in any libertarian sense, but because the the Wall Street people moved in, they soaked up the liquidity. They're trying to build um, derivatives products. A derivative product is completely the opposite of why a blockchain exists. Yeah. So Bitcoin has been taken over by the parasites. However, good news, it looks like it'll just be a measure of inflation. Nobody cares. So I push people into what is decentralized, what is not primarily owned by anybody but the free market, how do the systems work? I don't, well, I advocate for what works and I tell people what I I do. I don't tell people, if you're going to do $20 into into Doge, D-O-G-E, I told people to do $20 into Doge when it was half a penny. Now it's 20 cents. So... I told people to do SYS when it was two, two and a half cents, and now it's 15 or something. And Digibyte is still dragging ass. It's still at five cents. But, but those things are decentralized. They are Bitcoin 2.0, Bitcoin 4.0. They, they for, perform different functions. Mm-hmm. People need to get an education, not an indoctrination. And, and that's the real important part about everything. But government and finances seem to be the two most confusing things for everybody. And lo and behold, it's where all the money is and where everybody tries to keep it confused. Well, okay, let's get into it a little bit, a little bit of practicality, since you are pretty plugged into this. The problem I see with what you just said is that 
regardless of, you know, whether Janet Yellen, whether she matters or not, she does matter for the buying power of Bitcoin if it does become a currency of record, something that is actually used for buying things. And that's just Bitcoin. I mean, if Digibyte, I mean, if I put $20 into Digibyte today and it's at two cents 10 years from now, or it just doesn't exist anymore 10 years from now, I've lost 20 bucks. I haven't become, I haven't shored up my money outside of the fiat system. So, I mean, what's the hedge against that? There's so much uncertainty in crypto right now that so we where just don't is know. the bag phone? Where is the bag phone right now? And where is the Model T right now? Yeah, that nowhere. Is, I mean, they're collector's items, if anything. Correct. So when you say 10 years from now, I, I, here's what I'm going to say. Fiat is the rotary phone, dude. So Bitcoin is the bag phone and mm-hmm. fiat is the rotary phone. And just because we're still in this rotary understanding of money, does not mean you should buy a bag phone, especially when a bag phone is doesn't have proper liquidity for the whole planet. Anyone who says Bitcoin fractionates, oh, it goes to 100 billion. Right now on Ethereum, there's a thing called the Ethereum gas problem. Uh-huh. And what that is, is when you want to send $10 of ERC-20 token stable coins, it costs $22 in Ethereum to send them. So the fundamental problem is the thing on Ethereum that you're trying to use is substantially less than Ethereum. Therefore, just the transaction fee becomes pejorative. Right. When you have Bitcoin at $50,000, it is a $5 trans... Oh, I'm sorry. It's a $250 transaction fee, approximately. Now, $250 is nothing more than an ATM withdrawal. Do you pay an ATM withdrawal to buy your $10 grocery bill at the store? No. No, you do not. That's a swipe. So when you start scaling Bitcoin into these million-dollar numbers that people like to talk about, it becomes a $50 transaction fee. What are the chances you can afford eggs in Bitcoin if Bitcoin is a million dollars? You can the, the transaction fee means that your shopping trip needs to be a thousand. And then why would you do that? You go over to the ATM machine, you pay a $3 withdrawal <laughs> fee and pay for it in cash before you do any of it. Right. So Bitcoin doesn't scale. It will never scale. Mark Cuban is correct to say it is art. It is the very first blockchain. And and here, this RP is is unique. When you hook it up with a second layer solution, you might be able to say Bitcoin catches a little money velocity. So an art piece that catches money velocity would be this weird concept. Uh, Like you'd have to go get Camille Paglia to talk with like some weird quant math guy to figure out how art and math, like it would just be some weird concept where art is now math to a certain extent. (laughs) So to that end, Bitcoin could be worth all kinds of stuff, Uh but trying to use it as a cash system will not happen. Just, it just, it just becomes ridiculous. It's like trying to use a piece of the Mona Lisa fractionating a $25 million painting into 20, into, 25 million pieces and using each one of them as a dollar. Who's going to use the Mona Lisa at their store? Like who's going to accept the Mona Lisa? It just becomes these weird currency things where if you have enough currencies, the currencies itself become barter. (laughs) So you're trying to figure out what the exchange rate is. It just gets very, very weird. So, so things like lightning network or, I don't know, like some theoretical bank that uses Bitcoin as its currency of choice and so just trades on its own ledger. 
So you're more bullish on the Ethereum network than any solution like that on top of Bitcoin. Is that right? Well, here's the thing. Network effects are network effects, but second layer solutions are second layer solutions. Bitcoin cannot perform more than 20 transactions per second Uh unless it has help. If it has help, where is the value? Is it in the Bitcoin network or is is it in the people who are providing the money velocity? See, so at a certain point, you have to recognize Bitcoin for what it is. And it is the grandpa. It will not. The process everyone should look up is called merge mining. There are multiple coins that merge mine with Bitcoin. So the Bitcoin blockchain will always get mined. The question is, what is the relative value of a Bitcoin versus someone else's network effects and their currency? So when millions and millions of people are using Ethereum because there's hundreds of different smart contracts on top of it. And, and you know, we're talking when it's scaled and it's, you know, performing enough TPS to, to perform global functioning. Why do you use Bitcoin? And the answer is it just goes back to being an art form. It, mm-hmm. it really does because it's that first prototype and it's a bag phone. And so you just stop looking away from, oh, they build derivatives on top of bag phones now. That No, you just go buy some of the bag phone and you smile because maybe it appreciates in USD. Maybe it doesn't. The other stuff becomes the stuff that you use as the infrastructure gets put in. There are multiple, um, 7-Eleven in the Philippines, they, of course, they advertise it here. So, uh, 7-Eleven, take, uh, you could buy crypto at any 7-Eleven in the Philippines. And then they'll put it everyone in the nation. So you have to really read the fine print is that the nation they were talking about is the Philippines. <laughs> there, there's another gas station called Sheets. I don't, uh, they're, they're primarily up in the Northeast. They have already advertised they will be taking crypto sometime this year. They said months. Hmm. So, and I'm looking at infrastructure being put in that will allow high transactions per second that will allow competition with Visa. So when I say we are moving away from rotary dial currency, I, I you know, somebody could say, well, you're taking that as a leap of faith, Donnie. Okay. Okay. Your fiat, the fiat monetary systems on this planet are fraudulent. Go talk to anyone about that. I mean, as soon as you start getting into the finance world and you start talking to everybody who's been there for 30 years, Mm -hmm. the first thing you find out is they've been there for 30 years and their understanding of money works off of non-fraudulent balances that they could mathematically track, not necessarily where the creation of money came from. And all they're trying to do is make sure they don't get defrauded so they don't look at the macro sphere of what does money do on a liquidity sense, on a global scale? How does it how does it cause wars? How does it cause certain types of regimes to get funded from Washington that shouldn't be funded from Washington? So lots of second and third order effects come around unsound creation of money, unsound monetary policy dispensed from a central location. And that's what's changing. And anyone who says, you're keeping your dollar. I'm telling you 2030, 20, I mean, 2030. In a non-information age, the German mark went from 180 ounces or 180 marks for one ounce of gold in 1919 to 1 million in 1923. That was four mm-hmm. years in a non-information age. So when the dollar starts having an issue, I have no idea how the world copes with that because it, it is a fundamentally unique issue, a, a global Reserve currency having instability isn't how anybody keeps their ledger books. Yeah. As long as they're not getting defrauded, they don't understand that that is necessarily unstable. So when that starts to change, it will be fundamentally different. 
and people will learn. Like I could get into maybe how it would work with Bitcoin and Ethereum and some stuff, but it would just like it's a half an hour. If Jesus, if you think my books are complicated, wait till you hear how <laughs> stable coins. Oh wow, wow. Speaking of stable coins, are you? Do you think that Tether is going to go under? I've been hearing lots of rumblings on that. Well, why does Tether go under? I haven't heard any good arguments that Tether is any less good than a United States dollar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so somebody has to fundamentally tell me that Tethers are not worth dollars. Now, I also understand that Tether did something. They went into the cryptocurrency market and they bought crypto. And a portion of what backs Tether now is a crypto portfolio. Based on when Tether bought stuff and what crypto is now, I'm almost certain that they didn't make any bad bets. Maybe I'm wrong. And then there's some really wonky shit that goes on in the market that could involve bad actors in China. Like I have to make certain speculative premises about bad actors in China and stuff like that. So it gets weird when you just say Tether. When you say all the stable coins, the weird one isn't Tether. The biggest one that might blow up is Tether. But that's about it. And to be honest, I'd worry more about a USD issue than a Tether issue because mm-hmm. Tether did buy crypto and crypto is up like like at least 5x since then. Like if they bought anything in Tether, if they just bought Bitcoin, if they, I, I want to say, I, don't quote me on it. It was somewhere between 25 and 30% where they, they, they were going to back their portfolio of Tether with crypto. If they just bought Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're up like their whole portfolio is covered. Yeah. So it, it can't be as bad as everyone thinks, unless they're complete frauds. Unless they fucked this up completely, they were complete frauds. They really couldn't have done it that bad. If I'm going to single out a stable coin, it's die. Yeah, and that gets really complicated. But here's the reason: die. And I don't understand how die works. I mean, that's the weird one for me. I was okay. hoping that's what you would say. Okay, so the amount of maker. Uh, the amount of die in existence is relative to how much maker is in the world and then how much Ethereum is staked to issue more die. And then the cost of maker is like relative to how much die there is in the world. And But here's where I get at. When you look at all of the stable coins on earth to include Tether, the best you can say is each one of these is worth one US dollar. Mm-hmm. The end. Don't care who you are. That's all you're ever going to say those things are. DAI has this weird, it is one place. It is the place that I'm certain of. Because Ethereum is required to generate DAI and the amount of, and Maker is a, it's some part of the the equation on how much DAI there are. You get an arbitrage point in DAI against the other stable coins because Maker and Ethereum will trade in non-dollar pairs. So because all this other stuff trades in Maker and Ethereum, they have the potential to pull die against the other ones. This is how Wall Street is going to cheat their fucking asses off. And they are going to run high-speed trading, second-layer solutions that will run regular stablecoin pairs across die to maintain stability. Then they'll look at the pairs that surround Maker and Ethereum, and they'll try to stabilize the USD market by Mm. stabilizing the stuff on the far side. So there'll be some financial warfare people who will be trying to boost the the price of Maker and Ethereum to start making DAI pull against the dollar. And then there'll be people trying to prevent that with other staking, and it's going to be stupid. (laughs) 
It's going to be stupid, I promise. The bots are going to be programmed to do what they do. And if one guy gets really ahead of the game with a bot, somebody's going to get dick punched real hard. Like, it'll be those days when 100 million in shorts and 14 people go out a 14-story window, you know? It'll be one of them there days when die starts to separate from all the stable coins and everybody goes, what the fuck is a dollar? (laughs) That's going to be a great day, James. Okay, so to... I guess kind of wind it down. There's two things. I forgot to go back to black magic. Can you talk about why endocrinology is black magic? Just because I mentioned earlier. Okay. So when we got, we went into how, how basically all of the lying and all the primate sounds is white magic. And it's just enchantment. It's yeah. It's just a bad white magic is a bad description of what neuro linguistics and hyro linguistics and deception and lying provide. It's just a better, uh, those are all better terms than white magic. Black magic is endocrinology. You go hurt another primate. And when you do that, you can extract human, human wealth. There are, um, from young people, there are stem cells. So you get a human trafficking and abortion argument around stem cells. Then there's, you can torture people and cause their pineal gland. Um, there's a lot of death, death experiences where people see a white light. Well, when people do DMT, they see colors. Well, when you mix all the colors together, they're white. So the pineal gland basically releases during these death experiences and overloads people with DMT. Well, when you mix DMT and adrenaline, you get adrenochrome. Drugs are what they are. We could get into it. The, The fundamental issue with this shit is when you produce adrenaline, your body is fundamentally having a stress response. The end. Yeah. So your body reacts a certain way to produce it, and then it reacts a certain way when it receives it. And that is a natural cycle. When you receive adrenaline that you have not produced, that reaction causes a human body to freak out. DMT doesn't do that to your body, really. It does it to your mind, and your mind might take your body for a ride. When you mix the two together, you could be extremely dangerous. A lot of the military people will call it breathing through the issue. Like when you're firing at stuff and it might be firing back, it's a moment. You might have, you know, there's the pucker factor. Um, Yeah, your asshole snapping (laughs) shut, however you want to call it. Well, your mind will start to get away with you. You you can't panic. You can't freak out. So we, we put ourselves in a lot of stress positions, cold water throwing ourselves out of airplanes, explosions, all kinds of staying up all night, doing ignorant nonsense, whatever it takes to start shaking you into what I would just call a full-blown primate adult. It's not insult. You you could be a dumb, uh, you could be uneducated, but responsible enough to hurt other people. You're an uneducated adult. It's not an insult, just states that you don't know. Tell a primate they don't know something, they freak the fuck out. So the endocrine system is very easy to activate. As soon as you tell them that they're ignorant, they'll, they'll all over, you know, they'll start having the adrenaline response and give you shit. Well, mixing these two together from another source, you didn't produce, you didn't produce it for your mind and you didn't produce it from your body. And now you are somehow going to apply it. I have, I don't do adrenochrome. I just know where to get it. I also know how to make my own. Okay, if you if you can do this to yourself, an ayahuasca trip is a good way to to start understanding how to do this shit to yourself. Mm-hmm. A good stress response in a DMT trip. Honestly, the warriors, as they get older, the warriors will be able to just live on this shit. And you'll see people 
Um, some people get nasty. Some people call it PTSD because their mind never settles ever again. Their mind will activate their body. Their body will make them tremble. They will have a fucking issue. Like you kind of got to know what you're volunteering for with the military or it doesn't work out very well for you. So a long time ago, people who would just call murder and whatever the fuck those cannibals do over there, they would just call it black magic and it wouldn't be allowed here. And if it's inarticulate, you don't understand it. And, you know, who understands biology a long time ago? It would be called the occult. And Christians are trained to think that the occult is de facto Satanism. Mm -hmm. Satanism is a religion. The occult means um, hidden. Just means hidden knowledge. Yeah. So when, well, so when you take the morals away, the Christian says it is good to preserve life. And the Satanist says it is good to take life away. I'm not moralizing. That's just different paths of, did somebody die today? So when you take the religious context away, it's do we have a corpus delecti or not? And everything I talk about is if we have harmed humans, we have a problem. If we don't have harmed humans, we have an educational problem and we need to keep our hands to ourselves and figure out the enterprises. And when you do that, lo and behold, there's subject matter experts in every direction and they're all being chewed on by zombies who have an opinion and a vote. And that's where we all like literally just walking around in the last 18 months. You you might not understand what I'm talking about if you put on a mask. I didn't anywhere but Costco. And Jesus Christ, humanity is shit. They don't know things. They'll wander around barking at strangers under just suppositions. They feel comfortable to approach strangers and give them shit knowing nothing. I know not to get involved unless I can affirmatively apply help because that is bleeding. Otherwise, I don't fucking know you. And these humans just watch so much TV, they feel completely confident to proselytize their biological ignorance. There you go. So just in passing is because this is something that I'm, I'm interested in and I am looking for educated opinions on it. Do you advocate for or strongly urge against the use of psychedelics for spiritual or psyche hacking? That is where I intentionally have to confess. I am a dumbass unicorn. I, anything I would do to me, I, I intentionally use the golden rule as a weapon. Okay. I will volunteer for ignorant shit and make you come with me. So (laughs) you cannot ask me that. Um, Jamie wheel and Daniel Schmottenberger are probably the people you should ask. Jamie wheel will tell you right off the bat, fuck your blessed life. So he's like, I will give psychedelics to Navy seals because they have gone through things that they need to understand better. I do not give psychedelics to children so they can pontificate about shit. They don't, they've never experienced. And Jamie wheel has climbed to the top of Everest. So he's a civilian. He's not some military guy like me saying, Hey, civilian, shut the hell up. He is a civilian um, mountaineer who tells everybody, fuck your blessed life. You are not ready for this. My personal rubric is if you are military type ish, you're a type a, you are not permitted to do anything until you're 30. Hmm. You fuck your blessed life. You must do this the hard way. You can go drink some booze for the anesthetic, but you don't really need psychedelics because your brain doesn't get done forming until you're 25. Yeah. So anybody under the age of 25 should be an exception where um, Jordan Peterson said 10% of the population um, is basically not intelligent enough for gainful employment. 
I, I throw an asterisk in there the size of the Goodyear blimp. How many of those people are intentionally fed psilocybin and um, edible cannabis? And the answer is so low of a number that I don't respect that 10% number at all. Huh. I consider the entire medical community failures for not having experimented in this a long time ago. It was their fucking job. But instead, they listened to the lawyers and the politicians. And when I say the, it was their doctor's fucking job, they definitely were supposed to be able to pass the word about how masks wouldn't work on the chest cold. You know, when you when the common cold gets a marketing campaign yeah. and coast to coast, the doctors don't know. I feel very confident to wag my dick in their face and remind them, if you're this incompetent, maybe somebody should tell you to fuck off. Maybe you are just practicing. Maybe you are just practicing medical professionals. Dude, I, I was at the gym one time during the pandemic and unlike you, I caved and wore my mask and I mean, here in Minnesota, we were required to wear masks even at the gym while exercising. And so, you know, like a good little boy, I did. And I was just gasping for air on the treadmill. And so I pulled it down to, to catch my breath. Right. And someone, I, I guess he was a gym employee or something. He wasn't, he wasn't in uniform, but he came over. He told me, look, if you can't wear your mask, you can't work out. And I told that to my doctor. Like, I'm, I, I can't even respond. I'm breathing so hard. Right. And I told my doctor right. and my doctor's response was, oh, it was probably all in your head. Like that the mask was restricting my breathing. I have no idea why he would think that was psychosomatic. But <laughs> well, long, long ago, James, I didn't call her Karen. We all know who Karen is now, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, a long time ago, I used to call them white girls because sure. no minorities were from a, a neighborhood expensive enough for these arguments. Yeah. But now I call them Karens. And this is how Karen arguments work. We will have a discussion about whether or not masks are effective. This is a dumb, dumbass argument. Masks do something. They are a science. Your N95 mask filters particulate down to 300 nanometers. Mm -hmm. This is not a discussion. Do you have an opinion? Shut the fuck up. N95, it's a standard. That's how it works. Coronaviruses, the entire family, less than 200. Not a debate, period. Will an N95 mask provide positive protection against the corona family series of viruses? Not on day one. The only reason I ever put on a mask was because I didn't know that the report was correct, but I could figure out mask filtration real fast. I know how to do that. So I know the report was incorrect. Yeah. Now we're now here's 100 percent again, affirmative. I, I don't make arguments. When you place in any type of mask over your mouth, you will always suffer the negative side effects of a mask. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck what you believe. That's some fucking white girl shit. You have something <laughs> over your mouth. You are now impeded to the certain extent that human beings aren't born with panties over their mouth. The end. So when you argue the efficacy of masks and someone says, are there negative side effects? You look that person in the face and say, stand up and get the fuck out of this room. Mm -hmm. Because what we're really having is a problem of being invaded by children who can confuse other dummies with, dumb, you know, they say there's no such thing as a dumb question. There's a dumb debate where someone says we should debate whether or not masks have negative effects. No, 
No one should ever debate that. It is a foregone conclusion. Yeah. The end. Don't worry. It'll consume multiple news cycles because somehow it's not pure propaganda, man. How, how do this many medical professionals, this many investigative journalists, how do they fuck this up the whole time? And the answer is there's no way it's fucked up. It's not fucked up. It's a propaganda campaign. Because mm-hmm. it's exactly as designed. <laughs> And anybody who thinks that I'm not 100% correct, remember, when you start on step three of the IKEA diagram and step zero is do the inventory and make sure you have coronavirus before you get a vaccine, you don't even know you have corona. Where did the flu go? Does anybody know? All of the numbers that used to be flu now just appear to look like COVID. Then... Then the government positively incentivized COVID numbers. So where any economist on the planet can affirmatively state that negative incentives were applied. What do they call them? Perverse incentives. Mm-hmm. 100% unequivocally perverse incentives were applied to the COVID reporting, period. Then when you go into the COVID numbers, you find tons of comorbidities because they, those administrators were paying for numbers. Yeah. Well, at what point, what the administrators weren't honest and they just kept reporting everything is COVID and they were encouraged to do so. So at what point is this not just corporate warfare against the population with perception? And every so often a report will come out that, oh yeah, these you know 200 cases from this one hospital had no COVID at all, or these you know 10 deaths were actually from cancer or stabbings or whatever. And it's just, oh, oops, they made a mistake, as if this isn't a systemic thing. It's not a mistake. The fact that (laughs) it's still being reported on means that not one of the fucking journalists has done any fucking homework, and they will continue to pass whatever ignorance is in the ignorance of sphere. It acts like an echo chamber, but it's a military echo chamber. You will be bombarded with the phrase Mm COVID-19. Now it will be Delta variant. You want to know what a Delta variant is? It's a time displacement. If you go look into the markets, you're going to find that there's a Fourier series running in the crypto markets. The Some of the things, remember when Wall Street Bets was was AMC and, there and were two, GameStop. And GameStop. They yeah. were going nuts. Do you know why they went nuts? They were added to Bittrex and they were hooked up to Bitcoin pairs. The, while everybody was being told, look at Robinhood, look at Robinhood. Oh, Over on Bittrex, they got added to Bitcoin pairs. Okay? Huh. So anybody who thinks they really know how this works, the answer to this is you will go find the Syscoin Ethereum pair. It's in Blockfolio in multiple ways. Global average is one way to find it. You can also look at it on Binance. But that pair is not, it doesn't have a USD price oracle. It has some kind of security measure on it. I don't know if it's a certain amount of transactions per second or if it's, um, it's, a, it's some kind of carry, a fair, and again, we're into some specialist nonsense. Mm-hmm. A Fourier series is how you braid a bunch of signals together. So if you had 10, 10 oscilloscopes and each oscilloscope was set to a different frequency, you would use a Fourier series to braid all of those together to get one waveform. Well, if you look at price charts, they're waveforms. So if you want to braid prices together in an unarbitrageable manner, you put them in a Fourier series and you make sure that they wind really fast against each other to make sure that there's no arbitrageable spread. When you do that fast enough, you just make sure that nobody can commit what we, what you would consider fatal arbitrage to a system. Well, I, there is, a, so technically, Syscoin and Ethereum touch just like this. Like, 
play. In the naughty bits, there is no USD price oracle between Syscoin and Ethereum. There is an ERC-20 contract called SYSX, and Syscoins go over to SYSX from Syscoin, and then any ERC-20 token could go across the same bridge and then trade as fast as Syscoin. So Syscoin is a scalability solution to Ethereum, and there is a hole in Ethereum because it looks like a Fourier series, and there's no USD price oracle there. So when I decide I'm going to go find out why, why did my crypto portfolio deflate because I apparently don't know how dollars work, I get to the bottom of here's the signals intelligence. Here's the spot where none of this math makes any sense anymore. It's right here. And it's not a publicly traded pair. Okay, now I understand how the system works. So I could start making affirmative statements of this is a Fourier series. That doesn't happen in nature. Somebody's doing this on purpose. I'm okay. Whatever premises I'm going to base off of math, because I have affirmative signals intelligence right now, I'm okay. Now I am committing abductive reasoning. I am not philosophizing about my solutions. Mm -hmm. Now, if that Fourier series changes, my thesis changes. But it's not going to. Once you touch like that, you're you're scarred for life. So do you have any ideas as to what the brick phone of cryptos are going to be that for, for people who are looking to get into the next thing? Um, I go right to smartphone and it is Metcalf's law is network effects. Mm-hmm. And here's the, here's the cheeky piss everyone off argument. There are lots of libertarians who like to sit, make pragmatic votes for arguing uh, for voting. So every time I say something, I understand one thing. I have to provide my own false viability. Therefore, there's always an exception to the rule. But anyone who says they have a pragmatic voting solution is 100 is not 100% incorrect. You don't have a pragmatic voting solution. There is one scenario where voting works as a pragmatic argument, and that is when it's a referendum, not for a person, and when you vote no. That way, you have affirmatively made sure that no one received any network effect, and the thing that was supposed to happen gets nothing. Here's what does happen, though. Somebody says, you bothered to show up which in and of itself is a bit of a propaganda network effect, but I can't, I can't argue a propaganda per se against a pragmatic solution. So the pragmatic solution is you are in violation of Metcalf's law for network effects, whatever you think your vote is. It is being used the wrong way. I don't give a shit about your opinion. However, if there's a referendum and you vote no, you have pragmatically done everything that system can do to make sure it doesn't do anything other than propaganda. So you provide your own falsibility and you falsifiability and you understand both sides of how does how does that work? So your specific question was what's the smartphone to Bitcoin? So the smartphone is the network effects of Metcalf's law and where you're going to see the most amount of people use those systems in unison. So there's a bunch of systems that work together. Like I said, ETH and DAI and Maker definitely work together. Uh-huh. That's not arguable. The Maker platform also has different collaterals now. There are other platforms that use Maker and Ether as collateral. They also use DAI as collateral. So because those systems all kind of work together, they are all going to fundamentally rise together because if there's arbitrage bots, like when there becomes these price discrepancies along pairs that nobody knows about, they'll just mm-hmm. get eaten. The end. It's not going to be a debate. It will be stuffing USD into a market like sausage. And when the casing is too small, the bots will go to work and make 
and somebody will just make money on the way in. The end. So the sausage will be fine as the dollars pour in. But um, so then it's the payment systems. That's where I say Syscoin and Ethereum touch each other. Uh, Ethereum has all the network effects. And Syscoin is the scaling solution that will allow ERC-20 tokens to move not nearly as expensive as ETH. So as Syscoin goes up, if Syscoin was as expensive as Ethereum, oh shit, what is it? If Syscoin is $50,000, it's a $1.25 transaction fee. That's how I figured about on 50 grand. So if Syscoin is the cost of Ethereum at $3,000, then making a payment will be, just scale that down. I don't want to quote dumb math. But, but uh, $50,000, the, the payment, uh, the payment ratio is a $50,000 Syscoin is a $1.25 transaction. So when you scale that down to three, when you scale that down to a $3,000 Syscoin, which is about the same as Ethereum, and you cycle that, you get a cheap payment system, way cheaper than all of the people are paying. And then Syscoin scales up to Visa. It also scales all the stuff on Ethereum up to huh. Visa with interoperability solutions. It's still kind of being put together, but the the virtual machine portion is being put together now. So I'm just kind of waiting for this stuff. It's not, you know, the roads are being paved. Bitcoin is not the road. Bitcoin is the, the dirt. The, the Bitcoin is a footpath going through the woods. And Syscoin is at least two lanes in both directions, at least. So the answer to that is, that who is the smartphone? It's the scaling solutions that use network effects. That way, if you want to do your homework, you start looking for big volumes of people. That's why Wall Street is trying to get everybody to use Bitcoin. They want that network effect. All right. Any ideas on what that is? Like which specific tokens are you in SIS right now? Yeah. SIS is, I don't know, 14, 15 cents. And here's the thing. When you trade, um, here's what the silver guys have been bitching at for a long time. Yeah. Silver traded as a commodity has a USD price. Silver traded on Wall Street has a price. Anytime there's a separation between the two, the silver guys start screaming as if it's relevant. And what I'm saying is the silver guys who trade commodity trade one thing. The silver guys who trade the, the, the paper market, they don't measure those metrics the same. Measuring the currency velocity and measuring commodity volumes are not the same. So because the silver commodity volume of the physical and the silver contract price of what basically that is silver being used as a currency where millions of contracts are being changed every day, it's being used as a currency velocity. Hmm. So there isn't really a method. And let me be specific. The Wall Street fucks know what they're doing. They are keeping that currency metric detached from the commodity metric. So every time you hear the silver guys talking about silver going way up, most of them are fallaciously saying that the contract price will affect the commodity price. And I'm saying, no, it won't. The guys that are correct are, are, are know this. On Syscoin, there are two coins coming up, AGX and AUX. One is gold and one is silver. Now, I don't like the idea, but I'm not going to argue against it because it takes a tank, literally. It takes, if you put a bunch of tons of gold in a vault, you can't steal it unless it's a diehard movie. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. You need a tank. 
How those dudes stole it was just as highly weird as you would really have to fucking do it. And it's really hard. It, it, so when you secure gold in a vault and you issue a cryptocurrency on top of it and say this gold is secured, now you have a way to take that commodity price and scrape it across your, or I'm sorry, you take your currency volumetric and you scrape it across your commodity metric. And when they're added together, now listen, that's a quant math dude and a macroeconomics guy who asked Bob Murphy about it. But when you take those two metrics and you stick them together, the price of silver will then go up because now you have you have the network effects of the volume of the currency metric being added to whatever the commodity volumetric was doing. Also, Elon is doing. Oh, there's a lot of silver that goes into every Tesla ever. So okay. Elon is just using silver as a commodity. Just that. And because he plans on scaling a lot of electric vehicles, unless he plans on doing it without a big bunch of silver, it's not going to happen. So I, you know, the industries might see silver commodity go up, but because I'm looking at this high transaction per second crypto called Syscoin, have two other coins on top of it, AUX and AGX are functioning on a, on a backed crypto basis of trading gold in a cryptocurrency, they will be able to add the gold volumetric, uh, the, the, the gold commodity volumetric and the silver volume commodity, commodity metrics will be able to be added. That is a more holistic price discovery. And more importantly, it keeps those goddamn Wall Street people from fucking around because that's what they do. <laughs> that's what they do. So everywhere the Wall Street people are fucking around is where I don't like. And they're, I think they're leveraging Bitcoin prices up. I think that's what's happening. If I'm wrong, they're leveraging everyone else down. Because either way, huge Bitcoin price as art, okay. But pretending Bitcoin and then the rest of the ecosphere go together. Ethereum is like Bitcoin is your kindergarten. And then Bitcoin plus monetary policy is your first grade. And then Ethereum is second grade. And what Ethereum does to money, government policy, because Ethereum rips apart smart contracts, that's where you get pre-adjudication without lawyers. That's where the government's die is on Ethereum. You could do pre-adjudication of pretty much everything yeah. via staking. So then your, your third grade education is figuring out, okay, the lawyers are going to die in third grade. And then you're like, okay, the only problem here is none of this scales. So your fourth grade, you start learning to be a macro investor wandering the planet looking for what systems actually function in the manner that Bitcoin functions and function in the manner that Ethereum needs to be unleashed and then has some kind of scaling capability to let 2 billion people use it at the same time. That's your network effect. That's where I, I don't like saying get rich. The United States dollar is not a unit of measure. It fluctuates. So when you're current, when, like I said, whatever, on, whatever pulls on Maker and DAI or whatever pulls on Maker and Ethereum on the far side of crypto will start to have DAI pulling on the US dollar a bit. And that's where, I, that's a real complicated number, but that's where you'll start seeing the really sound money systems pull the fiat into, into line. And that will probably happen. And that's going to happen by 2030. But when those scaling solutions take hold and then how many people adopt them as fast as they can, nobody will know that. I say Syscoin, Digibyte, 
Ethereum, Basic Attention Token, Propy, P-R-O, and Doge. All right. All right. We'll leave it there. I really appreciate your time today, Donnie. No problem. And we're going to have to talk again because we've kind of scratched the surface on your stuff. And then we spent the last half hour talking about really practical stuff. But I want to better understand where you come from. And so, you know, I mean, I've got a podcast. I get get direct access to people like you, which is really cool. If you'll agree to come back anyway. No, that's always fine. I'm always really looking for somebody to talk to about not propaganda. Yeah. I, ever since I left the military, I, I am I am in a zombie apocalypse. I am surrounded by people who bark COVID. Like, it's not that COVID is, is a very, very mean prank to play on everyone. Yeah. It is the very worst of logical circumstances. When you get to just see how most people are, George Carlin is right. Half of these fucking things out here are stupid. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to be function. You'll lose your fingers in the military if you are as functionally civilian as the bottom half of civilians. So civilian world is definitely different. Just trying to figure out, okay, what, what do I need for my own sanity? And the answer is I just kind of want to be left alone to deal with the people I need to deal with. And then you find out the government and the banking system do not allow that. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I, and the fact that I can figure this kind of nonsense out, man, this is dumb. Like I don't, I played a lot of video games when I was a kid and I know the difference between one system and another. It's the only reason I know anything right now. I would be wandering around with a mask on. Wow. I'd be out in the woods living like a hermit. Uh, if it wasn't for video games, I'd be a dead man. Oh yeah. You know what? And Starcraft too. That's a, that's a game you specifically recommend in your book for oh. what just the sheer strategy that's required. And right. If anybody actually wants to go and play that, go, well, it's a, that's one that you have to buy. And that's kind of crap because you have to buy it to find (laughs) out. If you can find anything that's like a command and conquer might be something you could find a little easier. Okay. You don't have to do it really fast. You go and play the game yourself and just see how it operates and then go watch the pros play and gauge how fast someone understands that very accurate process management and how fast they could do it with their hands. And then you go play the game and look at yourself in the mirror after that and recognize those 16-year-old kids perform high degrees of technical process thinking strategy management, and I am a fucking moron. <laughs> but then you then you get a reprieve, and you say, I do not ever have to do that game with my hands that fast. That is not my job. That is their job. So you give yourself a reprieve. The next question is, when you're watching them play, can I follow the game when, I, when they're playing? If you cannot follow the game, you might be a moron. <laughs> you have to go learn because if you can't keep up with that, I promise a lawyer will beat you. A politician will beat you. Any car salesman will beat you. Their brains and their neuro, they are neuro-linguistically going as fast as the kid is in StarCraft II with his hands. Whether you want to believe that or not, you go watch the StarCraft II's kid's hands and recognize he's got two or three things in his head at that time. He's executing one with his hands, but he's watching two or three things. So the used car salesman is moving in their mind as fast as the StarCraft player is moving with their hands. So you as a human being need to recognize if I can't move my mind as fast as that kid moves his hands, I am a dumb fuck and I am going to get my ass kicked <laughs> by anybody who knows what the hell they're doing. I, it, You know, it's the self-reflection and literally do it in a mirror. If I can't think as fast as that kid's hands, I am a dumb fuck. 
and I'm an adult and I'll admit that to myself. And then I will go on my self-exploration of, you know, acknowledging my own ignorance and get a little curious about the shit that touches my life, yada, yada, yada. But those kids' hands move so fast that if you don't feel like a dumb fuck for at least 10 minutes, you're probably not honest. All right. Thank you. It's been a great little roller coaster of a conversation. Why don't you go ahead and plug your socials and websites and books and all that, and we'll get out of here. Um, Theartofwar2020.com is the short. Both of the the links will go to the same website. The long title is uh, www.thenullhypothesisofpolitics.com. That's the long title. And that is links to everything. My uh, my podcast and my books are there. They're free. So you just go download them. The, the first book has a really good audio book. The second book has pictures. So an audio book might not work so good. Huh? You have to kind of watch that. Or you have to, you'd have to read the book while listening to the audio. And okay. my Twitter is at direct uh, underscore Republic. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm hooked into all of the libertarian people. So I'm in the fringy stuff, but I'm fundamentally convinced that as soon as I started posting a Fourier series on my LinkedIn account, I was turned off of social medias by someone because my stuff used to get many likes and many shares. And now I might as well be in a closet with a dunce hat on. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank you. See ya. All right, thanks again to Donnie for joining me today. And thanks to you as always for tuning in. Remember, if you are not signed up with your email address at blackbirdpodcast.com, you are missing out on content. Head over there right now, blackbirdpodcast.com, sign up with your email address. It's fast, it's free, and it will make sure that you receive updates every time I publish a piece of content. If you'd like to get early access to these interviews, along with the pre-show banter that we record prior to my formal welcoming them onto the show, toss me seven bucks a month and you can have all the access you want. And you can do that at blackbirdpodcast.com as well. And with that, I will see you on the next episode of Blackbird. Until then, live free. Thank you.